Here's another inspiring message from Northside Community Church, Sydney. Fun fact about me, uh, I live in an apartment that has no dishwasher. Anyone else know what that's like? Might be a house with no dishwasher. It doesn't have to be an apartment. Henry, yes, I see. Yep. Henry, I used to live with Henry's wife, Rachel. And Henry, when they were dating, Henry used to do our washing up. It was so nice. Thank you. Anyway, so we, have it, we bond over not having a dishwasher and knowing what that's like. Another thing that is true about my life is that I can't stand the traffic on the Pacific Highway. Anyone else? Yes. Oh my gosh. Particularly when you're going north up to Warunga and hitting uh, up on the F3 to the, to the Central Coast. The worst, the worst. Uh, a third thing about me, fun fact, not so fun for me, uh, fun fact about my life is that I drive a car that has terrible speakers. Anyone else relate to that? I don't know, maybe not everyone's fussy about the snake. Yes, I see your hand. I know maybe not everybody is as fussy about that, but there are three things about my life that I just find frustrating and wish were different. Have you ever wished that something in your life is different to what it is? Maybe you wish your commute was shorter. <laughs> Maybe uh, you wish that you didn't live in a shoebox or that uh, tragedy of all tragedies, your favourite cafe was just that little bit closer to home. Maybe uh, you wish that your boss was less demanding. <laughs> I just heard some nervous laughter. <laughs> Maybe you wish that your friends were more interested, your parents were more understanding or your kids were more invested in their relationship with you. Or on your more honest days, maybe you wish that you could be different. I think we all do on our more honest days. And people tell you that a leopard can't change its spots, that people can't change their personality after the age of 30, which poses a problem for a few of us, if that's true. <laughs> Myself included, I can, yeah, I can say that because I'm over the age of 30. Just to be clear, I'm not having a go at anybody. So is there any hope for us, those of us who wish that on our more honest days that we could be different, that we could change? And even though people say that, you can't help but asking yourself, will I ever be free of this? Will I ever change? Will I ever stop doubting myself? Will I ever uh, get my anger under control? Will I ever stop overindulging? Will I ever learn to be honest? Will I ever be happy for other people's successes? Will I ever find joy or purpose again? Is this ever going to change? Can this ever change? On our more honest days, because in Sydney, on the lower North Shore, let's be real, we spend a lot of time trying uh, to have it all together, to, sh to feel within ourselves and within two other people that we have it all together, that there's nothing in our life that we would change. Everything is shiny and perfect. Uh, but can we this morning, just in this period of time, uh, can we drop that? Is that all right? Can we drop that and just be real with ourselves and real with one another um, that we all have things that we would like to be free of, right? In our lives, we all have things that we wish were different about ourselves that we feel almost held captive, held captive by and can't seem to get rid of. And so our question this morning is this, is it possible to change? Is it possible? Is it possible to be free from what we sometimes call our demons, the things in our life that suck the life out of us, suck the vitality out of us and drag us down? Is it possible for us to be free from them, to live an existence that is more full and more rich than we currently do? We started a, a new sermon series at Northside last week, Power and Presence, looking at the Holy Spirit. 
and I believe that change is possible for us through him. The Holy Spirit who changes you, which is our topic uh, for this morning. It's possible because he is the great liberator. He's the one who has power over our demons and is able to change us from the inside out to live vibrant lives, the vibrant lives that we know we were designed to live. And so the passage that we're looking at today, as you heard, is very dense and very rich. There is a lot in there, uh, most possibly one of the, one of the densest uh, passages within, within the whole Bible. So I'm sure you're glad you came to church today. Uh, of all days, this is the one you've walked in and you've been hit with this um, theological uh, with this theologically dense passage. So uh, I hope that you, that you will be glad that you came to church today uh, when you walk out at the end uh, of, the, of the morning. Um, but let's dive into it. Chapter, and I want to set up a bit of a kind of preamble before we get into the passage because chapter 8 of the book of Romans, Paul's letter, Paul the Apostle, who God sent to share the good news about Jesus with, the, with his world, the world around him at the time, writes a 16-chapter letter, 16 letter to the Christians in Rome. And, um, and this passage falls halfway through in chapter 8. And so there's seven chapters of this that lead up to this passage. So don't worry, I'm not going to recap the whole thing. But I do want to paint a picture of one of the key themes that's important for us to understand as we come uh, to this passage today so that we can um, not have to delve right into all of the detail of it. Um, and so basically what he teaches us is that in the world around us, there are two forces at work. There's the force, um, a power of... of um, of good in our world, a power of life, and on the other hand, the, the force and a power of death, both running concurrently at work uh, within our world. You see it represented in movies all the time, The Lion King, for instance. You've got this good, wonderful, rich kingdom, vibrant kingdom, and you've got this kingdom of death uh, and darkness. It's these two kind of forces that are at work all around us in our world running concurrently. And you know life when you see it, Right? you think of the Lion King, for instance, you see it when you, everywhere you see meaning and purpose and beauty and joy and laughter, kindness, wholeness, justice, vibrancy, it's life, right? You know it when you see it. And in the same way, you know death when you see it. Really, death is simply the absence of life. We often think of death as just what happens to you at the end of your earthly life. But what Paul teaches us in this book is that death is um, its more than that. It's something that runs concurrent with life. It's a force that is at work in our, in our world. Its biggest blow is when it steals people from our lives. Don't we know the pain of that? But it's at work in so many other ways throughout our lives as well. That's not the only place you see it at work. You see it in the greed that's destroying someone's family. You see it in the resentment that's tearing friendships apart. You see it in the evils of domestic violence. You see it in drought and in famine, in hopelessness, in bullying, in selfishness, in corruption, the absence of flourishing, in all the places that things are not as they ought to be. Now it's confronting, even the word death is confronting. We cover it over and we like to say that somebody passed away rather than they died. The word death itself, the whole concept, what that means to us is confronting to our hearts because it's not what we're designed for. We know it's not right, it's not how things are, are ought to be, but we know that it's true and we look around us that our world is death's playground. 
You don't have to look far to see that. It's a fractured world that we live in. It's a sick world that's incapable of curing itself. And God knows we've tried, right? And we continue to try. But our wounds are beyond our own healing because the grip of death is too powerful in our world. It runs too deep for us to cure and heal ourselves. And so what if I told you that there was someone who had the power to cancel, um, the, cancel the power of your demons in your life? To get you out of the realm of death's playground and transfer you to a different realm where life and flourishing is possible. Don't worry about anyone else, I'm talking about you. What if I told you that was possible for your life? That the power of your demons, these things that you wish were different about your life within yourself, might be cancelled? What if there was someone who had the power to grow life back where your demons have been running riot? Who's able to bust you out of your self-interest, your fear, your addictions? Who has the power um, to invite you on a path to freedom so that you might experience life as it was designed to be? And experience life in places that life, quite frankly, shouldn't be able to grow? Who can enable you to experience hope and freedom and joy even as you experience pain? And who is in the business of bringing dead things to life? Bringing hope out of the most hopeless situations? How would you feel if I told you there was someone who could make that possible for your life? You. Well, there is someone whose name is the Holy Spirit. And it's all possible, firstly, because he has cancelled the power of your demons. It's true. Have a look at what, he, what Paul says in this passage from verses 1 to 3. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Read this through the lens of all I've just been saying now that we have the background. Because through Christ Jesus, the law of the Spirit who gives life has set you free from the law of sin and death. For what the law was powerless to do because it was weakened by the flesh, God did by sending his own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh to be a sin offering. And so he condemned sin in the flesh. The Holy Spirit cancels the power of your demons. The first task of the great liberator, the Holy Spirit, in changing us is to cancel the power that sin and death, our demons, have over our lives, in effect, to free us from their grip. And I'm going to get a bit theological on you now. You ready? I'm just heads up. <laughs> Warning. One writer, James R. Edwards, said this, Before humanity can live, it must be freed from death. This is step one for us. We often think of sin, right, as good deeds versus bad deeds. Good deeds is not sinning, bad deeds are things that we do that are sinning. Uh, when Paul talks about sin here, he's referring to it differently to that. He says, no, no, don't think about it like that. When he talks about sin and death, he's personifying it almost. He's talking about sin and death as a force. Elsewhere, he talks about sin being like a slave master, a jailer who seeks the destruction of the people that it keeps in captivity 
And what Paul is saying here is that there is a spiritual reality that goes on underneath the surface of our lives, behind the scenes of our lives that we might not even often know is happening, even going on. You see, before we had faith in Jesus, our lives were governed by the power of sin and death. We lived under its thumb, under its authority. We were controlled by it. We didn't have a choice. We didn't have any sense of victory to be able to win over it, to fight back and to win. What that effectively looks like is lives of self-interest from within which we cannot escape from the power of our demons. Yet... Instead of God uh, allowing sin to condemn us, this jailer, this slave master, Jesus stepped in from heaven and became sin personified so that when God unleashed his fury on Jesus on the cross, he was unleashing his fury on sin. Do you follow? The result of that was that What was condemned in that moment when Jesus hung on the cross was sin. Ultimately, not Jesus and not us. Sin was condemned because Jesus embodied it. Jesus was perfect and he had no reason to stay condemned once God poured out his his fury upon sin in Jesus. And so once the sin that he embodied had been killed through God's fury... Jesus rose from the dead because he had no reason to stay dead anymore because the sin had been condemned in him. Sin in him had been condemned. And he rose from the dead, breaking free of this death grip and taking with him all those who have faith in him. Claiming the victory and the power over sin and death. And so he cancels the power of our demons for all of those who have faith in him. Do you follow? The power of sin in our lives, the power that lies behind our demons, our selfishness, our greed, our addictions, our unfaithfulness, has been broken by Jesus. That's really, really good news for us this morning. Really good news. Jesus was broken out of death's grip, and if you believe in him, you have been too. What this means for your life is that you no longer live under sin's authority. It's no longer your master. It's no longer your jailer. You no longer have to do what it tells you. It might still affect you, but it no longer has authority over you. If you have faith in Jesus, the power of sin can no longer condemn you and no longer has the authority to produce a life of self-interest in you. Now you might be thinking, wasn't this a series about the Holy Spirit? (laughs) You've just talked to me about Jesus. Uh, I thought this was a series about the Holy Spirit. Where does the Holy Spirit come into this? Good question. Excellent question. Let me answer that. Let me try to answer that. If he's the great liberator, where does he come into this if Jesus is the one who liberated us? Let me ask you a question as we explore this. How is it that what Jesus achieved on the cross gets applied to your life? Like, how does that make a difference to you? Jesus lived 2,000 years ago. Like, how does that actually work that that would make a difference to us sitting in this room 2,000 years later? How does this victory get applied to my life? 
That's the Holy Spirit's job. That's where he comes into the, into the picture here. There needs to be someone who connects the dots between Jesus' life and your life. And that's the Holy Spirit's job. You know, when you first come in the steps, uh, when you come to church on a Sunday out in the foyer, the first thing that you see when you walk in the steps, apart from our lovely welcomers, is a TV, big TV screen, right? And it's got, I don't know if you've noticed it, but it's got different pictures that are rolling and friendly people looking like they're having a great time at church, that kind of thing, I think. And um, you might not realise, let me just let you in on a tiny little thing that goes on behind the scenes here. That computer is controlled by, that TV screen is controlled by a computer which sits elsewhere. And what is happening on the computer that sits within the office, because it's connected with that front screen, whatever is happening on the computer on the office is displayed on the front screen that you see when you come, in the front, come up the front steps and into church. Have a look when you go back out afterwards, you'll see it. The reason that that happens, that what is happening here takes effect over here, is they are connected. I don't know how. Tech is not my thing, let me tell you. <laughs> Somehow... David Solomon's done a very clever thing where this screen reflects what is going on on this computer in the office. And it's like that with Jesus and us. What happened for Jesus on the cross, his death and his victory over death, because we are connected to him through the Holy Spirit, it gets applied to our life too. We become connected with him. That's what it means when, when the Bible says we are in Christ, we're connected with him. His victory becomes our victory. Sin was condemned in him and so sin is condemned in us. He was freed from sin because it's been condemned and so we are freed from sin too. That's the Holy Spirit's job. He is the one who applies the liberating work of Jesus to your life. Without the Holy Spirit, you've got us in one place and Jesus in another and no connection whatsoever. He could have done all of that work on the cross and without the Holy Spirit, it would mean nothing to our lives. Thank God for the Holy Spirit. Thank God the Holy Spirit. So can I ask you, what is one thing in your life? You're going to have a few seconds to reflect on this. So here you go. What is one thing in your life that you would love to be out from under the power of? One thing within you. Greed, fear, anxiety, addiction. It's already probably come up within your mind. But you, what's one thing that you would love the Holy Spirit to change? I'm going to give you a few seconds now to reflect. Write one thing down if, you're, if that's going to be helpful for you. And invite God to come and apply Jesus' freedom to you, to connect the dots for you in that area of your life, to apply Jesus' freedom for you, to cancel the power of your demons in that area of your life. You're no longer under its authority. It is no longer your master. New life is possible. So bring it to, bring it to him now.
And this can be tricky for us sometimes because we don't, sometimes we've been living with these things for such a long time that we can't even imagine what life might be like if we were out from under the power of this thing. It almost becomes our safety net, it becomes something that we almost trust in, that we feel comfortable in, even though it's not a good thing. We don't know what life would be like to bust out of it. So I, I don't, I'm not naive enough to think that this is a, this is a light thing that we're thinking about. This is, this is deep stuff for us. It can be really confronting and really scary to imagine life without some of these things. But hopefully that moment has been helpful to begin a conversation with God about it. Now you might have been thinking in that moment, that sounds great, but you know, I've been praying that prayer for a really long time and nothing has changed. <laughs> You don't know what I'm dealing with. This has been a part of my life for such a long time. I've asked God to take it away and take it away and bring me freedom, but nothing, nothing has changed. Still, I experience the impact of the power of sin and death in my life. These demons still haunt me. And I hear you. It's really hard. This is a wrestle of the Christian existence. Part of it, anyway. We are free, and yet this is still our experience in so many areas of our lives, wrestling with our demons, wrestling with the power of sin and death. We're still Christians, and yet we're still impacted by this power. We still struggle with fear and greed and self-interest and addictions and rage. We are deep and complex creatures, aren't we, human beings? <laughs> we have intellect and we have emotions and we have wills, each of which runs so deep. And sometimes it takes a bit of time for the freedom of God to trickle right down deep into those things in our lives. This is not snap your fingers and everything is going to be better. You do hear stories like that. But for most of us, most of the time, this is a process of walking this out with our God as his freedom um, gets more and more deeply embodied in our lives. But what is critical for us to understand this morning is that while the Holy Spirit um, has cancelled the power of your demons, you're no, longer their, they're no longer their playground. They're no longer your master. They no longer have authority over you. What is currently underway is a process um, by which the power of life, of joy and peace and purpose starts to break through the surface of your life and take over. In other words, once the Holy Spirit has freed us, has cancelled the power of our demons, he grows life back where our demons have run riot. Isn't that beautiful? He grows life back. You see it after a bushfire sweeps through a forest. He grows life back. He heals, he restores, he makes us into the people he always dreamed we could be, always dreamed we would be. People who reflect his heart for loving and life-giving relationships. When this passage talks about righteousness, the law of righteousness, that's what it's talking about. God's heart, his intention for us is and has always been lives of loving, life-giving relationships. Have a look at a couple of verses that talk about this. Verse 4 Paul had said he condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law, loving, life-giving relationships, might be fully met in us, who do not live according to the flesh but according to the Spirit. And verse 10, But if Christ is in you, even though your body is subject to death because of sin, the Spirit gives life, he grows new life up because of righteousness. And if the Spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you, 
The power of the resurrection in Jesus gets applied to our life. He who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies because of his spirit who lives in you, who makes it possible from within you. Isn't that cool? There's a lot that we've skipped over there, so go home and read it again. But you know what? We live in this funny time where the powers of death and, um, and death and life operate concurrently. When those who have faith in Jesus have been freed from the power of death and are now being transformed by the power of the resurrected Jesus. And yet we still struggle with our demons. We're still in a fight. We still struggle with greed and lust and fear. But the difference, as James Edwards put it, is that Christians may still live with the effects of sin, but they do not live under its authority. Sin still affects those of us who've been freed from it. And it still tries to take us down. And we still need to be on our guard against it. We know that to be true. But it's no longer our master. It no longer controls us. It's not that life becomes free from sin or struggle once the Holy Spirit frees you. But you are free from its authority. I was reading some, some writers writing about this passage and one of them used this illustration that uh, in August of 1944 in Paris, after a long war, uh, there was uh, Paris, one of my favourite cities in the world, uh, was liberated um, from being under the Nazi power, from being under Nazi control. Liberated. Now the rest took a while for the rest of France to also be liberated but once the heart, the hub, the control base within Paris was broken, it was only a matter of time until the rest of the city was going to, the rest of the country was going to be liberated too. There were still skirmishes in the countryside. There was still fighting going on. There were still people who hadn't got the message that freedom was on its way. But freedom was sure to come. It's a bit like that for us. Our hearts have been freed. It sometimes takes, it takes a while for the freedom to spill its way out into the rest of our lives. But freedom is yours in Christ. Make no mistake. Freedom is yours. That's who you are. A lot of the Christian life is a fight for what our, for our, a fight to live in our new identity. We are no longer sinners. That's not our primary identity. We fight with sin. We struggle with sin. We sin. But it is not who we are. It doesn't control us. It's not our master. We are saints. That is who we are. That is the identity we are called to live in. And where the fighting has left death, the Holy Spirit changes us by breaking forth new life from within us until we are completely transformed. where you have been scarred by hopelessness, by shame, guilt, fear, addictions, greed, control. God is on a mission to bring new life and wholeness. This is who our God is. This is what he does. This is what he wants to do in you and is doing in you if you have your faith in Jesus Christ. The new life of Jesus gets transferred across to you.
If you think, this, if you think um, the things that you think disqualify you from God's love and mercy are actually the things that he's making a beeline for. <laughs> because he loves you and he wants you to live. He wants you to flourish. You're not disqualified. So who are you? You are free. You are loved. The Holy Spirit has the power to change you, to change the things that you wish within you that you wish you were different and could be freed from. He cancels the power of your demons and then grows life back where they've been running riot. He changes you by applying Jesus' freedom to your life. This new life is stronger than your demons. Its power base has been broken. The greatest power in your life is the power of the Holy Spirit who is bringing wholeness and new life to you. Our role in this is simply to participate with God as he transforms us. He's doing this work, but for you, hoist your sails to catch the wind of the Spirit. Surrender to him. Ask him to come and have his, have his way in your life. Ask him to free you. Ask him to apply the work of Jesus to your life. And in so doing, you will hoist your sails to catch the wind of the Spirit. Will you ask him to come and have his way in you this morning, that you might experience the power of your demons being cancelled and new life growing back where they've been running riot? Would you hoist your sails with me this morning as we pray? Holy Spirit, God, Holy Spirit, thank you so much for who you are, for the incredible ministry that you have in applying Jesus' work to us in cancelling the power of our demons so that we might experience a new freedom, a new life. Thank you that we no longer live under their, their authority, under their mastery, but we have a new Lord, a new Saviour, one who wants us to flourish, one who wants us to be free. So Holy Spirit, wind of God, would you come and blow in our lives we want to be caught up in your new work of restoration. Help us to let go of the things that are not good for us that we are so used to and comfortable in so that you might come and bring transformation to us, God. Would you come and have your way? Would you bring wholeness to our lives? Would you bring restoration to our lives? Would you bring a new sense of joy and a new sense of purpose? In Jesus' name. Amen. Well, thanks for tuning in. If you'd like to find out more about Northside, visit northsidechurch.org.au.